I spend a lot of time looking for things. I've shared this probably a number of times before, but I'm a very absent-minded individual. So I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. That's just how I'm wired. I think about lots of different things, but the thing I usually don't think about is the stuff I'm supposed to be thinking about in the moment. Does that make sense? Anybody else wired that way? When I'm doing something, my mind wanders. I'm always thinking about different things. And so as a result, I tend to do something in a moment without thinking And then later on, I completely forget, you know, where I put something or where I set something down. I forget. And so I'm always looking for something. I'll give you some examples recently. So uh, a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, two weeks ago this Sunday, I I forgot my keys. So we had the service. I remembered having my keys. I, I drove to church myself, so I know I had my keys. But then I went with my wife after we all drove together somewhere and came back to get the car and I couldn't find my keys. Um, Now, at first, I blamed her because it's a lot easier to blame somebody else for your own problems. I I was like, didn't I tell you to hold my keys and you put them in your purse? And uh, we went to the dog bowl. We were walking around for the dog bowl. That's why we we left. And her purse is giant, right? So if you put anything in her purse, you'll never find it again. So I'm like, didn't you like have it somewhere? Now it's lost. And and so I was kind of blaming her. And then I realized three days later without having my keys, they were here the whole time. They were just upstairs at Common Grounds sitting on a table. And uh, I had, you know, didn't know where they were. So that was me. Uh, my fault. Another example is just from uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, it was a Friday and I couldn't find my laptop, my computer. Like I couldn't even find my computer bag. Now that's a problem because on Fridays I write my sermon. And so I, you know, I gotten ready in the morning, was getting ready to go to work and, and write my sermon and I couldn't find all the stuff I work with. And I was racking my brain to think, where would I have put that? And I remembered then that uh, our babysitter comes on Thursdays and I always switch a vehicle with her because I I want her to have the car seats in case she wants to go somewhere. So I had her car here, put my computer bag in the back of her car, drove back to the house and then never took it out of her car. So she she was in Vassar and that's where my computer was and I had to make arrangements. You get the point. It happens to me all the time. Um, And I'm looking at your face and I feel like I'm not convincing you yet. Let, Let me give you a few more examples. Okay, recently. Uh, recently I lost uh, a carton of ice cream, believe it or not. The night before, uh, we had ice cream and then I, I knew I, well, I thought I put it back. And then that next morning I was in the freezer for something, probably getting like a, I go waffle for the kids or whatever. And I, I thought the waffles were underneath the, the ice cream. And at first I, there was no ice cream. And I'm thinking like, man, I wanted to blame the kids at that point, right? Cause it's easier to blame somebody else. But I'm like, where, where did the ice cream go? And then I opened the fridge and I realized what I did. I put the ice cream in the fridge, which now it's just a melted pile of, you know, trash. So I just threw it away. But that's another example. Didn't know I put it in there. My coffee every day, I lose my coffee somewhere. It's a running joke in the office that Pastor Joe's always looking for his coffee. So I might leave it in the room. Often it's in the microwave. Um, This past week, at one point, I put it on top of my car to go somewhere and forgot it was on the car. So it's somewhere on Main Street, my coffee cup probably. So you get the point. I'm always looking for something. Maybe you're wired the same way. Maybe, you know, you're looking for something to quite a bit and you kind of have the same problem. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's annoying. Yes, I don't get too bent out of shape about it because most things I look for aren't like critical. They're not like survival things. They're just annoyances. But there are lots of people in life that search for something, that look for something. And it's more than just an annoyance. Actually, it's a pretty big deal. Often, there's something that many people look for that's a cause of some great angst in their heart. It brings out a lot of emotion and at times pain. 
and frustration. The, the thing specifically I'm talking about that many people search for is this, purpose. Purpose. Many of us spend time, significant time, thinking and focusing on what we're supposed to be doing with our life. What should be our purpose? What should be our aim? What should be our goal? Where do we find our sense of purpose in the world? In fact, uh, for many people, right, this is graduation season. Many of us, uh, many students just graduated, and they're, you know, I went to two graduation parties yesterday. They're thinking about next steps, and this is something that rolls over in people's minds again and again and again. What am I made for? What am I designed for? What's my function? What's my purpose in the world? This is really the question I want to ask this morning specifically. Where is our purpose? What purpose do Christians have in the world? Many of us, we spend time searching for purpose all over the place. In fact, depending on who you ask, we'll be pointed in all sorts of different directions. So for example, society will often tell us, well, hey, your main purpose, your main function is happiness. The pursuit of happiness, that's a, a virtue in America. That's something we're, we're taught to, to believe in and hold fast to from childhood, that the idea of, of purpose and function is that we're supposed to be happy. And so the means of acquiring happiness, often it's usually very materialistic, isn't it? Right? We tell our kids from an early age, well, you better do really good in school. Why do we say that? Because we want them just to be smart? Well, maybe, but a lot of times it's so they get a good job. Do really well in school. You can get a good job, pays well. You can get a, a nice house, you can have a nice family that's in that house, and then you can eventually, when you get older, you know, maybe if you do really well, you're successful, you're prosperous, you can get a cabin at the lake, and then, you know, at the end of your life, you can just relax at the cabin, enjoy that comfort, and, and that's how you can end your life. And then, right, that's how we find our happiness. That's how we find fulfillment. We often preach this to our kids. This is the path we put them on. This is how you get happy. It's by having prosperity and blessing. And so that's what we do. And so ultimately, right, it, it becomes a very much so a materialistic path. It's about, it's about what you make and what you have. But see, what if God's purpose has nothing to do with our happiness? What if God's desire has nothing to do with making us prosperous or comfortable or making a good income at all? What if that's not the point? What if, as a follower of Jesus, we have a different purpose? You see, I believe with all my heart this morning that for those of us here who belong to Jesus, I realize there are some of us who maybe we don't trust in Jesus, maybe we don't believe in some of these things, and that's okay. I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning, but many of us who are here, we would say, yeah, we're followers of Jesus. We've trusted in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead. We're not trusting in our own goodness to save us. We're not trusting in following the rules. We're believing that Jesus took our place and he did all the work and we're trusting in him. So for those of you who are here, who are a follower of Jesus, I, I want to speak to you specifically right here, right now, to let you know, I believe in my heart that God made you for a purpose. That God has given you a very specific function in this world, a vital role, an essential calling. And this morning, that's what I want to focus on through the pages of Scripture. I want to answer the question, what purpose do Christians have in the world? Where is our purpose? How do we find it? Well, I believe if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see it right there. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, just a heads up, the Bible's in front of you, 
Um, if you don't own a physical Bible, please take that Bible home with you today. It's our free gift to you. We just would love for you to have a Bible. Uh, but the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, it's in the New Testament. It's the very first book in the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible, or maybe three-quarters of the way into your Bible. You get the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be at this morning. So if you get to the book of Malachi, that's the last of the Old Testament. If you get to Mark, Luke, or John, go backward. Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want to let you know that we are uh, continuing a series that we launched last week. This series is called The Summer on the Mount. Uh, And the reason we're calling it The Summer on the Mount is because we're tackling throughout the summer the most famous section of teaching that Jesus ever gave. Well, it's a section known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's described for us in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And instead of taking time to just tackle it in one day, like perhaps Jesus, you know, preached one sermon, we're going to divide it up over the summer and preach multiple different messages. We're going to spend the summer on the Mount with Jesus. And I'm pumped for this because you know what? Uh, who better to spend your summer with than to send it with Je- spend it with Jesus and to hear from his word? And so I, I hope that that's a blessing for you uh, this morning and throughout the remainder of the summer. And so uh, we're going to be looking at a section beginning in verse 13 in just a moment. But last week, we kicked off the series by looking at the first 12 verses, and we covered a section known as the Beatitudes. That's a really big kind of churchy word. It really just means the blessings. Uh, If you were with us last week, you know that Jesus talked about the blessings that come with the kingdom, Um, especially when people who've experienced hardship throughout their life, how how God flips everything upside down. He has an upside down kingdom, and he loves to bless those uh, who've went through hardship. And that's what we talked about last week. Well, this morning, he's moving into a section where he's really honing in now, specifically on his followers, right? the people who would say that, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. He begins to talk to them about their role in the world, their function or their purpose. But before we unpack that, can, I, can you just indulge me for a moment? Um, I, I'm, a, I'm not even a closet nerd. I'm just a nerd, okay? I've admitted that. I'm a nerd. Uh, I know the Star Wars trilogy far too well, so I'm a nerd in that way. Um, but I also love the Bible and nerdy stuff in the Bible. And sometimes I bring this out, and, you know, whether you like it or not, hopefully it's helpful. But I want to be a nerd for a moment and just hit one quick thing. Uh, before we move on to our specific verse, I think there's something in the Sermon on the Mount and the way it's presented to us uh, that's really cool. So let's just take a moment. What I think Matthew's doing in this gospel, so a gospel is really just an account of Jesus. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it's the story of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus. Well, in Matthew's gospel, when we read this introduction of who Jesus is in the first five chapters, Matthew does something really special. He wants us to see a connection between Jesus and Moses. Uh, He wants us to see how the life of Jesus, it parallels the life of Moses. And I know that some people are younger than me, but as a kid, right, we used to, even in church, we had the, like, the transparencies, you know, it would up on the screen, and that's what we would sing with lyrics to, and someone would, you know, switch those real quick. It's almost like the life of Moses, if you laid it down and you had a transparent thing with the life of Jesus, they map perfectly together. And let me just show you this real quick. Uh, If you don't know about the life of Moses, I'll explain it real briefly. So Moses was a dude who lived in the Old Testament. Very famous guy. And his story begins in Egypt. Moses was born in the land of Egypt. And he had a miraculous uh, infancy because basically what happened is an infant, he barely escaped death because the king of Egypt was going to try to kill all the male children who lived, uh, who were part of the, uh, the Jewish community, right? The Israelite people. Uh, the king was trying to kill all those babies. And Moses miraculously escaped in that story. And then eventually Moses grew up. And when he got older, he rescued his people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt by crossing through the Red Sea. And remember, the the water parted. They passed through the Red Sea. And that's how they experienced salvation. 
And then after that, immediately after they passed through the Red Sea, what happened? Well, Moses went into the wilderness with the people of Israel. They wandered around for 40 years. They were being tested by God. Uh, They were hungry and they had to rely on God's provision. So that's what happened in the wilderness. And then at some point in that story, Moses climbs up a mountain. Right? And then when he goes on the mountain, he begins to deliver this amazing message to God's people. Uh, he explains to them the standards and expectations of the Old Covenant, right? the Old Testament. So he explains the, the law from God to the people. Remember, he had the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. So that's the Moses story. That's a very, very condensed version of the Moses story. Okay. Now, Matthew, he picks up on that. And what he does is he writes this gospel in such a way where we see the Moses story in the life of Jesus. Let me just explain real quickly. Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is born. Matthew chapter 2, his family escapes, right, from the land. And where do they take him, the baby Jesus? They take him to Egypt. There in Egypt, why are they in Egypt? Well, because the king of Israel at the time, Herod, he's trying to murder all the male children Right, Just like what happened with Moses, he's trying to murder all the male, male children. And so Jesus' family, they end up going to Egypt to escape. Does it sound familiar? Okay. Then in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus grows up. He gets older at this point, And then he doesn't pass through the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea. He goes into the Jordan River and he's baptized, which is a picture of salvation. Coincidence? I think not. But it continues. Immediately after that, in Matthew chapter 4, where does Jesus go? He goes into the wilderness. For how long? For 40 days, fasting. So he's hungry and has to rely on God. You see the similarities. And then in Matthew chapter 5, what happens? Jesus climbs up a mountain and he begins to give a message to God's people. The standards and expectations of God's word, of of the kingdom of God, just like Moses did. But unlike Moses, Jesus doesn't deliver the standards and expectations of the old covenant. Jesus delivers the standards and expectations of the new covenant. Jesus is a better Moses. He comes with a better message. Moses came with a message that was centered on law. Jesus comes with a message that's centered on love. And so what we see here, and the reason we did this little nerdy thing, you can take your nerd hat off for a second, is I want you to know, if you want to know what it means to live Connected to Jesus as part of his kingdom. If you want to know what what kingdom living looks like, turn no further than the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus walked up on that mountainside and he delivered this amazing new law, the law of love. This is what we have in scripture. This is what we follow. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's intended for those who are connected to Jesus by faith and part of this new covenant. So that's my introduction. Now we can jump into our passage. We're picking up in verse 13. And as we do this in verse 13, Jesus is going to begin by giving a series of really vivid illustrations, very simple illustrations for us this morning. So the role of followers of Jesus, this is what he's describing for us, our role in the world. And the first thing Jesus says in verse 13 is we are salt. We are salt. Notice how Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, as I begin to unpack this, the first thing that we need to understand is just that initial thing that Jesus says. He says that you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, in the ancient world, salt had multiple purposes, many, many purposes. 
But there are two primary purposes of salt in the ancient world. Both of these purposes were connected to food. So first of all, salt was used back then, just as it is today, as a seasoning. Uh, Ancient people would use salt to season and flavor food. Now, I uh, have to confess something. I love salt a little too much, right? I I love salt to a fault. Like that rhyme there? Um, I admit it. And the reason I love salt is because it just makes things taste better. It enhances things. It, it, It makes everything better. Salt, when it's added to something, it's not like it's giving it a different flavor, Right, what it does is it draws out the, the flavors that are currently there, and it kind of makes it pop. Uh, salt impacts and influences food in an amazing way. That's, that's why I like it. Um, I've heard that there are some people who don't like salt. Anybody here in the room not like salt? I mean, are you, anybody willing to admit it? No? Okay. If you are, you're weird, so I'll just start there. So it's weird because salt is wonderful. It makes things better. Uh, I enjoy salty snacks. I've shared my journey. Uh, before I used to be, I re- really like chips a lot and things like that, you know. Uh, but I've tried to get away from that, tried to go to a little healthier eating. So now, like, the replacement for chips are like nuts. I'll eat some of those. And one of the best, not the healthiest nut, but pistachios. Wonderful, right? You ever heard of the salt and pepper pistachios? Oh, man. They're great. But have you ever had an unsalted pistachio? Like, that's a waste of your life. Seriously. Allie picked up some, I think they were lightly salted ones from, um, they look real, almost exactly the same as the salted ones from Sam's or something. So it was a big bag. And um, there's, it's, it's false advertising. There's no salt in that whatsoever. So like I tried for a little while and now the bag is just sitting in the cupboard. Like it's not even worth the effort, right? To, to peel all the shells off. Like it's just, it's, it's bland. It doesn't taste good. So it's going to sit there for a while. I probably should throw it out, Allie. Sorry. I just left it in the cupboard. But either way, It's pointless, right? But you add a little salt to that, and all of a sudden, it's delicious. It makes things better. Salt improves and enhances whatever it comes in contact with. And if you're you're missing this illustration, this is the point. Jesus says, Christians, followers of Jesus, we should be the same way in the world. When we go and mix and mingle in the world, we should be improving and enhancing and blessing and enriching those around us. We should be impacting the world around us for good. That's what salt does. Salt makes things better. And so as Christians, do we, when we mix and mingle with our friends, are we improving the situation? Are we blessing others? Are we enriching people's lives? That's the question. Now, that's the main application for salt. It was a seasoning. But another one that was very prominent in the ancient world, less prominent today, was salt was also used as an agent of preservation, right? So if you had some sort of uh, food that you didn't want to spoil or go bad, you would often wrap it, you know, you'd cover it in salt. Salt would begin to preserve it. You'd pack it, right, the salt in there so it would preserve that food. So it wouldn't turn, it wouldn't turn bad, it wouldn't decay. And again, Jesus says the same thing. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we go into the world, right, there are times where aspects of the world are prone. They're given to corruption and to decay. And as Christians, do we come in and do we preserve things? Are we a, a, an agent of sustaining what's going on around us? Are we improving, enhancing, enriching, sustaining, preserving those around us? Are we blessing the world? That's what we should be. That's what we should be doing. We are salt, Jesus says. Followers of Jesus have a purpose in, the, in this world. The purpose is that we are going into the world and we make an impact. This is the point that Jesus is trying to say. If we don't have an impact, like then what are we? Like, if we're not going into the world and influencing and impacting the world, like, what are we? Jesus says, 
right here very clearly. If salt has lost its taste, how is its saltiness restored? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now for us, we, you know, the salt that you put in your salt shaker, it's got a lot of purity in there. So, you know, you just put the salt in there and, and the idea of unsalted salt is like, doesn't make any sense in our culture. But if you lived in the first century and you lived in Israel, it's likely that a lot of your salt was gathered up from the Dead Sea. If anybody's been to Israel, amazing place there. But there's the lowest point on the surface of the earth is found in the land of Israel. It's at the Dead Sea. At the Dead Sea, if you go there, there's a big deposit of salt, even there uh, in the past, but even today. And so uh, I I visited there, and I'm a terrible swimmer, just so you know. But in the Dead Sea, it's not hard to swim at all because you're so buoyant. Salt makes you float. So I literally just floated, like, just in the middle of the water because you you can't really – it's even hard to go under that way. You don't want to because it'll kind of burn, but it's so salty. And so what would happen in the ancient world is they would gather up salt from the Dead Sea – But in that material, right, you'd have all sorts of other minerals and all sorts of other things deposited in there. And so the idea would be you would use salt, but maybe if it was like put in water, you'd have a residue left over. And that residue was no longer salty. And so that's what was that used for? Just there was nothing. You just cast it out, right? You just trample it. It doesn't mean anything. And so maybe this is what Jesus is picking up. But the idea here is as Christians, like we have a purpose. We should go and influence and impact the world. And if we don't, like what are we doing? We're no use. We're no good. And so Jesus is capitalizing off this. And, and, you know, the truth is sometimes as Christians, we have this mindset, right, that we as Christians, we need to stay in our our little holy huddle, right? We're all gathered here today, and and we need to stay here and make sure that nobody else comes in and infiltrates our territory. We like to huddle up. We like to surround ourselves with people who look like we look and act like we act, believe what we believe, think what we think, do the things that we do. And often we think that part of our purpose in life isn't to venture out into the world. No, we got to stay here in the Christian bubble. And by golly, just make sure we do all these Christian things. Our job isn't to be part of the world. No, no, that's garbage. That should be cast out from our mind. It's something that we should trample over. No, the truth is Christians, we don't have to be of the world, but we should be in the world Don't avoid the world. Don't escape from the world. Don't push the world away. Make an impact for the world. As Christians, we're called to go out, enhance, bless, improve, preserve, and make things better. Our design by God is to be people who make an impact. This is our purpose in the world. And Jesus makes it very, very clear for us. So the first thing we see, number one, very simple, we're salt. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing that Jesus says next is also very simple. We are also, as Christians in the world, we're light. We're light. Notice what he says in verses 14 through 16. Jesus continues. He says this, you are the light of the world, speaking to his followers. He says, a city that's set on a hill, it can't be hidden, nor do people, they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But no, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He says, in the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now, again, Jesus uses an awesome illustration, very simple. Here to describe the purpose of Christians in the world, he says that you are lights of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, we don't have to take time right in this service to talk about what light was like in the ancient world, right? We don't have to try to describe what would they have used light for in the ancient world. Well, they use light for the same thing we use it for. Light has a very basic purpose, right? Why do we use light? Why do we need light? 
to see, to see things around us, to know what's going on. Light is something that's essential. Without light, you can't see. And so the primary purpose is to help people know what's going on. It's, it's to help them see reality. Uh, whether it's sunlight, whether it's a lamp, whether it's a light bulb, it reveals truth around us. It's used to guide us. Light is used to direct us. And light is used to keep us from stumbling in the darkness. That's why light exists. Or recently, my wife, maybe it was a year or so ago, got a bunch of little night lights. I don't know, maybe it was like an Amazon thing or something. I'm not sure. But she had these night, night lights that she put all around the house because at night, you know, she wanted to make sure we could see where we're going. And that's a blessing for me because I've shared before, my kids often wake up screaming at night and so we got to deal with stuff all the time. And so I can't tell you how many times in my life I have walked somewhere in the middle of the night to go check on something and tripped over like a laundry basket or ran into a wall or the worst of all, right? This is the worst. Stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night. Any? Anybody out there know how bad, uh, how painful it is uh, as a, an adult, right? A grown adult, that much pressure to put like your the bottom, the soft part of your foot on a sharp piece of Lego. It's like the worst. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the worst human pain you can experience is. I'm sure that like childbearing's up there, right? Okay. Uh, passing a kidney stone, probably somewhere up there too. Lego, maybe like close third. What would you say? No. You ladies don't like that, do you? It's painful. So much so that... Um, Dead serious. When I step on a Lego, I collapse. That's what I do. It's not because I'm a giant, it's like a gunshot wound, right? Where I'm like, oh, I'm not. It's, it's because the pressure you put on the Lego, as soon as you realize the pain hits you, right? That sensor hits you, you don't want to put more pressure. So I just let my body fall. Even if I hit my head on something, that's better than the Lego pain. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to risk it. But either way, the point is just a little light, little night light, right? Just plugged into the wall. One little light makes a big difference. In a dark place, just one little light, it can really impact things. I think this is the point that Jesus is saying is, is Christians, even just a small number of Christians, they can make a big difference in the world. Just like a pinch of salt, right, in food or something, it can make a big difference. A little light in a dark place can make an impact. And so as followers of Jesus, right, the idea here is that we have been rescued from darkness. We once were blind, blind to our sin, dead in our sins and transgressions. We were lost and without hope. But then God opened our blind eyes, right? We heard the gospel. We heard the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when we heard that gospel and trusted in Jesus, God took us from this domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now children of the light. We have this hope and life within us. And our job is to go out into the world and to shine forth that light to every tribe, tongue and nation to all the darkest corners of the world. That's what Christians are called to do. We shine forth the goodness of Jesus. We're like a, a, a beacon, right? The, the, the church is meant to be like a lighthouse that shines forth the light of the gospel. And so I hope that you're shining forth light. I hope that the things that you say are Christ honoring and that point people to Jesus. But it's not just about what you say, right? Jesus connects this idea of shining our light to what we do. It's about action as well. Notice how Jesus says that. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works. You know, Jesus is not suggesting that this is just lip service. He's suggesting that the way that you shine your light is through both what you say and through what you do. Through, so people could see your good works. And when they see that, man, there's something about this person and you, you love on others and you serve others and you bless others. They'll say, man, there's something about you. And, and maybe, perhaps by God's grace, they could be drawn also to that same light and their eyes could be opened and they too could glorify 
our God who's in heaven. This is the idea. Jesus tells us to let our light shine before others that they may see our good works and glorify him. So the point here is we should love the world. We should serve the world. We should care for the world. We should shine our light in the darkest places. It's interesting, Isaiah 58.10. I think maybe Jesus was drawing from this, but there's a passage there. I love this. It says this, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, And if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, so we're talking about pouring yourself out to help those who are hungry, satisfying the desire of the afflicted. It says, then your light shall rise in the darkness. What are we doing for the world around us? We come in here and we talk about how we're supposed to love God and love others. We love to huddle up and talk about loving and serving others. And then what what do we do? We break from the huddle and we go home and we love ourselves and serve ourselves. (laughs) What are we doing for the world? How are we impacting the world? How are you loving those around you? How are you loving your your neighbor? Do you actually love them? Are you actually doing something about it? Do your actions actually demonstrate your love for others? Don't just talk about it. Talk is cheap. And don't pray about it, right? Be about it. Do it. Do what you say you believe in. This is the point that Jesus says. When people see your good works... You could glorify your Father in heaven. This is our purpose. It's a very simple message. We are the salt of the earth. And we are the light of the world. That's who we are. It's our function. It's our purpose. Jesus makes this very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. You, hear me. If you've went through life and going, man, I don't really feel like I have a purpose. You have a purpose. If God has called you, if God has commissioned you, if you follow him, Go into the world and be a world changer. This is what God has called you to. He doesn't say you should be salt and you should be light. He says you are. So be what you are. Be the salt. Be the light that he's called you to be. That's our purpose. Nowhere in this Sermon on the Mount does Jesus attach anything about our purpose or our function related to our happiness or our prosperity. Nowhere in here does Jesus say, hey, your purpose in life is to work really hard in school so you get a really nice job. You can make money, you can buy that house, you can get your family, and then once you do that, you can get the cabin by the lake, and then you can retire in luxury and just enjoy your time. Nowhere does Jesus say this. The the, the idea isn't connected to material blessings or material things. And yet, we tell our kids, this is what you do. Work hard in school so we can get the job, so you can go out and you can follow the American dream. This isn't biblical, but yet we ingrain this in our kids' minds. I mean, practically speaking, we, we kind of make this about money because money becomes the thing that gives us the means to accomplish all the things that we think will fulfill us. And so essentially what we tell our kids is that this is the message, right? Devote your life toward making an income. Is this what we should be teaching our kids? Devote your life toward making an income? Should this be central? This isn't in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus nowhere talks about this. The message of Jesus has nothing to do with devoting your life to making an income. No, what Jesus says here, and this is the big idea, very simple, is devote your life toward making an impact. This is what your calling is. Devote your life to making an impact. As Christians, we are to be world changers, Salt and light. We're called to influence, enhance, improve, preserve, and bless the world around us that's in darkness. This is our calling. 
We're to go into the world and to be what God has called us to be, salt and light. That's our function. And you know, the truth is, if we focus on the other stuff, you know, the material blessings and the, the money and the, the house and the job and all that, you know, there will be people who will be impressed by that. They'll say all kinds of things like, boy, you sure are successful. Look at what you've accomplished with your life. You know, it'll make us feel like we, we've accomplished our purpose and our goal because people will look at us and they'll admire us and say all these wonderful things. Listen, if you focus your life on hearing people compliment how great you are, you will have wasted your life. You'll have wasted your life. Don't live to see the admiration of men. Live to hear the affirmation of Jesus. I want more than anything else at the end of my life to hear the words of Jesus spoken about me saying, well done good and faithful servant. The life I've given you, we only have one life to live, only one life to offer, and it's fleeting, it's transient, it's short. What are you doing with your life? What are you devoting yourself toward? I want Jesus to be pleased with how I've lived my life. I want him to say, well done, because I want God to use me to make an impact. Each and every person around me, each and every relationship, I want to make an impact for Jesus. Uh, this is what I think he calls us to do. Now, for maybe for some of us, we're kind of like, all right, Pastor Joe, I'm with you. I want to make an impact. Sign me up. How do I do it? Maybe for some of you, you're like, you know, I'm not really good at preaching or teaching, so that's not my thing. I'm not going to be a good communicator. Uh, maybe some of you are kind of like, yeah, you know, I want to help and bless the world around me. But, you know, like the place I work is a small business and we're all Christians. Maybe it's a family business or something. Or maybe you're kind of like all my friends, they're all Christians. And so I don't really hang out with many non-Christians. Or, or maybe, um, you know, you don't interact with the world very much. And so you're kind of like wondering how to do this. And, and for many of us, we might wonder how we make an impact. We might wonder where to start, how to begin. And if I can this morning... I want to make uh, you aware of an opportunity, and I'll be real with you. This is a, a totally shameless plug. I'm going to plug something. Every single week, we have anywhere between 120 and 170 children who come into this building, and they fill up that wing of the building, those classes, while we're in here. Every week, about 120 to 170, that's what we've been seeing the range right now. Dozens and dozens of kids are sitting in rooms right now, and, and as I speak, they're there, and many of them, they might know Jesus, but many of them don't because they're kids or maybe because families are coming in and they didn't grow up in a church yet, and this is their first experience or first time. And so the truth is, I believe that for many kids, their view of Jesus, it begins with their experience with the church. Right? Many kids, the path they follow, whether or not they pursue Christ or not, a lot of that's influenced by their experience as kids in church today. And so if kids have a, a bad experience or, or they're not able to really be connected to the church or they don't get anything from it, maybe they grow up. I mean, by God's grace, you know, I know people who have a different story, but oftentimes, right, you train up a child in the way they shall go and they won't, won't depart from it when they're older. This is the chance to begin to shape minds and hearts for Jesus. And so what I would say is if you're looking for a mission field, we have a mission field here every single stinking week with 120 to 170 kids. You don't have to go out to them. You just show up here. We'll bring them to you. Really? We have an opportunity to impact a life for generations and generations and generations. It's an opportunity that we make available, and what I'll say is it's one of the hardest areas for us to recruit high-capacity volunteers. Um, and I'll just be real here. Okay, this is the tricky part. It's summer. A lot of people are gone. That's a challenge. 
Lots of guests come. When guests come, we love that, but they're not the ones filling classes because they're our guests. And with COVID, we've made it even harder. So we have a shortage right now, but I'm not appealing to you based on guilt. I'm not telling you, hey, we have a shortage. We want you, even though you, you hate kids, you're going to muster up whatever and show up in a class. Don't do that. Don't do If that's your feeling, don't do that. I'm not trying to guilt you into it because honestly, if you're guilted into it, you won't last long and you'll probably do a pretty bad job. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just being real. You don't ever guilt somebody into something like that. It, it doesn't work. I'm not making an appeal based on pressure. I'm making an appeal based on purpose. If you're going right now, hey, I, I want to use my life. I want my life to count. I want to use my life to make an impact. And you're wondering where to go. I'm just telling you, that's a ministry that you can shape a person's life and impact them and it can go for generations after generations after generations. So if you're looking for a place, that's a good one. If you don't want to serve there or can't serve there, that's fine. What I'll say at the end of this whole thing is no matter what you choose to do with your life, no matter where you choose to serve, the one thing I believe that Jesus wants more than anything else is for you to live your life to the fullest and not waste your life. Use your life to make an impact. Be the salt that he tells you that you are. Be the light that you truly are in a dark and dying world. Be what Jesus has called you to be and live out your purpose. Engage the world. Don't retreat from the world. Engage the world for Jesus. And when you do that, when you engage the world for Jesus, not only do you glorify your Father, but you open up the door for others to see the goodness of your Father and for them to glorify his name as well. This is our calling, beloved. This is our purpose. This is our function. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder what I'm, what I'm supposed to do in life. He's given it to you. You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you in this place. And Lord, I, th I think through this morning, this message was very tailored toward those who um, are trusting in you. And so what I would say is, Lord, for those who um, consider themselves to be Christians, I pray that you would impress upon their hearts the importance of living in the world in such a way where, where, Father, they're dependent on you to make an impact for the world, that, Father, they're receptive to where your spirit leads them and guides them to love others and to bless others. And so I pray for that. Lord, I also pray for those who are here and who maybe this whole Christianity thing, like it's not for them, or maybe they just don't believe it, or maybe they, you know, it's weird, whatever. Um, Lord, I pray that through this time that your spirit would just draw them a little closer to yourself right now. I pray that through this message or through whatever, Lord, just through the experience here, that you might begin to, to help them to see because, Lord, you are the God who in the middle of the darkness said, let there be light. And you are the God who in the dark, dying world has shined forth the light of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray the light of the gospel might invade and permeate every heart, mind, and spirit in this place. So Lord, I ask for you to do the work that only you can do. I can only speak. I'm only a messenger. Lord, you're the one who really changes minds and hearts and lives. And so we ask for you to work, for you to minister to people, for you to draw them to yourself through the power of your spirit. Thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.